I want to share a couple things this morning. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter, and I'll explain in a little bit uh, what we're doing there. But I also wanted to, uh, to highlight something um, in another area in which I said yes this summer. Um, and it has to do with a lot of the, the gang over here. Um, but uh, two months ago, I got a call from uh, not a, call, uh, this, uh, a guy by the name of Tyler who's been helping out with uh, this thing called Worship in the Woods. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, some of you guys have been there. Oh, you must get more excited about it. Yeah, I like it. Um, and it's this group of, of high school students, college students, young adults that gather together to, to worship in the woods every other Saturday night. And Tyler said, I heard about it. And, and Tyler said, hey, Dave, can you come up and, and share? And I said, yes, I'll do it. Um, and it was at the beginning of October... And I was actually, you know, blown away when I just went out there and I just saw what the Lord was doing. And here's a picture um, of that Saturday night out in, in October, out in the woods, a little blurry, but uh, worshiping. And just uh, this encouraged me because I thought of the verse from 1 Timothy 4, and it says, 4.12, it says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech and conduct and faith and love and purity. And here was a group of teenagers, young adults, setting uh, an example in, in faith and in purity and in love and worshiping in the woods on a Saturday night for hours. And then last night I went and joined them. They're not out in the woods anymore because it's too, super cold. Uh, but they were in a bar worshiping. And I just thought, like, you know, I took these pictures because it's a reminder of God just is at work. And there's something powerful that happens when his people come together to seek his face, to worship, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ proclaimed. And so I take these pictures because it's kind of a, a milestone. It's a standing stone in the Old Testament. People take the pictures and say, uh, this is a, a moment that God did something significant. And so I, re I look at this, and God is doing something significant in our world. And we can hear negative stuff. We can hear all the bad stuff. But the kingdom of God is breaking through in powerful ways and getting the hold of the hearts of young people. And so I look forward to the future and seeing what God is going to do through all of you. And I would just encourage you guys to keep going, to keep setting an example uh, for all of us. And so like I did then, I took a picture. I want to take a picture this morning uh, because God is doing something and this is just a moment. And so put on your best uh, smiley face. Uh, yeah, you can do whatever you want to do. You can make a funny pose or whatever. This side is not as energetic as this side. Maybe I'll, take, maybe I'll, I'll try it again. There you go. Um, so, I wanted to share out of 1 Peter because a, a number of years ago, in 2013, uh, a man by the name of Rick Warren, maybe you've heard of a pastor, uh, Rick Warren, he uh, lost his son. Uh, to suicide uh, in April of 2013. He was asked uh, a question, and he goes, uh, the question was, you know, what is, you know, what is the, the, the biggest issue that you see in the world today? Um, in light of losing his son, who battled, uh, frankly, for his whole life. And this is what uh, Rick Warren said up on the screen. He said, uh, poverty, illiteracy, and disease are not the biggest problems in the world. The greatest problem on this planet is hopelessness. It is without doubt the biggest epidemic of our age. 
And that phrase, the, the greatest problem on this, pro this planet is hopelessness, leaped out. And this was before, this was 2013, this was before not just uh, an epidemic, which I guess is like uh, a smaller community, I guess, or maybe like a local like sickness or whatever. You know, this was before uh, the pandemic, which is something that's global, that we're experiencing this year. And I thought about this, this quote uh, this week, because as we stepped into 2020, none of us had this in mind this year. I remember writing in my, my journal the word for uh, the year, my word for the year, which was going to be focus, which is like 2020. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cute, you know, focus, you know, eyes, all of that stuff. Never did I have in my mind that we were going to go through the ups and downs like we have in 2020. And I remember the, the week, uh, March 11, and when everything just shut down. And the streets were quiet, and March Madness, the basketball tournament, was canceled. I was running on the treadmill, and they said, this is canceled. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what is happening? And word got out of, of the physical illness or the, the virus that was spreading, and, and there was a lot of focus on the physical uh, side of things. And that's important. We need to be careful. We need to watch out for the, the physical side of things. And sickness, physical sickness is real and the virus is real. And I'm so thankful for all of the frontline workers and, and people who are engaged in that. But then I started to hear about the brokenness and the other effects that were taking a toll on people. Emotional issues, mental health issues, spiritual health. And then a week ago, I read an article about Japan, and it said, I don't know if anybody else saw this, in the month of October, there were more deaths by suicide in Japan than by the coronavirus. And that just broke my heart. And I know Japan is a different culture, and there's a, a high achievement culture there in Japan, and there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of just trying to performance mentality. But it just gripped me, and I'm like, oh, just the, the, the darkness and the, and the sadness that, that more people would die of, of suicide than of this, this virus that is all around the world. And then I read another article that talked about um, kids in California. Shortly after uh, everything was, was shut down, they recorded a, no, a, a record number of suicide attacks. And this is what they said in, in this article. It said, people are giving up hope. There's nowhere to go. Nothing to do. No one to connect with. There's just deflatedness, which I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> but this really stood up. They're giving up hope. You know, and I could, I could share articles and, and we could share, you know, things that we may have read or something that we've seen on TV. But here's the reality. Like, we've all had conversations with people. We've all seen it in people's lives and just a, a heaviness. Um, people struggling. And... Um, Maybe you've even experienced this. You know, you've experienced some wrestling in your own spirit, some darkness, some, some struggle. And for me, this is what has motivated me uh, the last couple months to gather with people, to meet with people, to, to hug people when I feel like led to give them a hug to, because there is so much heaviness and brokenness and hopelessness, I feel, in the world. And people are hurting. And yes, there's the, the, the physical health, but there's also this emotional, mental, and spiritual health. And there's so much loss in this world. And my question is, how do we find hope in this world? How do you and I find hope? How do we be people of hope in this world? How do we be agents of hope as we go out into the world this week, as we go about our business? How do we fight and actively engage in this battle of hopelessness that exists in this world? And so I was drawn to First Peter 
And 1 Peter is written by Peter to a group of Christians that are scattered around the, the world, the known world. They're facing persecution, but their persecution is going to get worse and worse. In a couple of years, uh, in, in Rome, a guy by the name of Nero would, would burn down Rome and then would blame followers of Jesus for doing it. And then because he blamed followers of Jesus, people would, were critical of them, and he, in order to uh, appease people, would put them on poles and light them on fire for their faith. And so persecution was going to get a lot tougher, but Peter's writing to a group of people that were facing persecution, facing difficulties, they were uh, marginalized in, in, in society. They um, had some broken relationships because of them being a follower of Jesus. They declared that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar or, or not Nero. And so Peter is writing to a real group of people. Sometimes I think we forget that when, it, when we approach Scripture, that these are real people going through real struggles at a real time. And so Peter is writing to them, and this is what uh, he says. Turn to, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And what I find interesting is that while Peter's going to have this theme of suffering all through, throughout Peter, there's also another theme that speaks loudly through this. And it's one of hope. And so Peter writes this. He says, Peter, in verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, by the way, a little trick, if you're reading a bunch of names in, in the Bible, just read them fast and people think you know what you're talking about. <laughs> According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that verse, living hope. Like, what does it mean to have hope? What is this, this hope that, that Peter is talking about? Is it this uh, wishful thinking that something hopefully will happen or might happen? Is, it, is Peter just saying, you know, be uh, people who are uh, glass half full people? Who in this room are glass half full people? Anybody? Is, it, is he talking about that? I'm one too. I'm like, oh, we see like glass half full. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. Is it that kind of hope that he's talking about? But in here, in Peter's talking about the, this hope that is this great expectation, this firm conviction in something that is based on something that has happened and that will happen. Peter's looking into their situations and saying, we have been born again to a living hope. 
A hope that doesn't ignore fear, a hope that doesn't ignore anxiety, but confronts those feelings with something greater, frankly, someone greater. And says we can have hope in the midst of anything because of who God is, what he's done, and what he will do. I mean, look at this verse. It says, we, it all, like the first thing that, that screamed out to me was we can have hope because of who God is, his character. Look at this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. I stop right there. According to his great mercy. That's just the character of God. That's who God is. He is full of mercy, full of compassion, slow to anger, abounding in love. Ephesians 2 says it this way. It says, But God, being rich in mercy. I think of that, that phrase, being rich in mercy, like endless supply of mercy. Just never runs out. This is who he is. Rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God is rich in mercy. We see it throughout history, over and over again. The people of Israel wander away from the one who rescued them from Egypt. The one who went in and sent Moses as a deliverer and led them through the desert with the pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day and, and, and all of these huge miracles. And then they enter the promised land and their hearts go away from the one who rescued them. And he gives them into the hands of their enemies. And there's punishment because there's always punishment for sin. But then God hears their cries. He's moved by their, their weeping, by their tears. And he sends person after person to deliver them, to rescue them. Over and over again in Scripture, you see that God is rich in mercy. And so Peter is writing to this group of people and it says, don't ever forget who God is. According to his great mercy, he is full of compassion, full of, full of, uh, of kindness towards us. That's what we sung about. So maybe this morning you're, you're, you're sitting here and I, I would challenge you and, and, and encourage you, like, what is your proper view of God? What are your thoughts about God? Because how we view God, how we see God impacts our lives. Do you see him as this loving father that is full and rich of mercy? We can have hope because of that. Have hope because of who God is. But also Peter is writing and saying, you need to have hope because of what he's done. And this verse just screams of the gospel. That he has caused us. God has caused us. God has done this work. There's nothing that you or I could do to deserve this work, to deserve salvation. This is all a move of God that God has caused us. God saw the condition of our life, and he was moved to action. He did it himself. He caused us to be born again. And that just speaks of the transformation that is brought out by the cross of Christ. That we who were sinned, we who were destined for wrath, we who were children of wrath, deserving of punishment, are born again, are given new life. And no one knew that better than Peter. I mean, Peter's story is a crazy one. Peter, an ordinary fisherman, was fishing one day, and, and Jesus saw him and walked up to him and said, hey, come follow me. And you remember the story where uh, Peter and those there dropped their nets, and they followed him wholeheartedly. And Peter's life was a series of ups and downs. Peter was like full of faith, stepped out of the boat on the water, but then saw the wind and the waves, and he, and he sunk. Peter was the first to proclaim Christ, like, yeah, you're the, you're the Christ. You're the one who's come to redeem us, and then would deny Jesus three times. Would even say to Jesus, like, no, you're not going to die on the cross, and then Jesus even had those words to Peter and said, uh, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's pretty harsh words to Peter. 
Peter's life was a series of highs and lows of faith and of failure. But what Peter is showing here is like I'm, I'm encouraging you to have hope, not based on what you've done, but based on what Jesus has done. Because Peter knew this transformation. Peter uh, wasn't talking about any of his accomplishments. He was saying, you can have hope, you can have this living hope because you have been born again. And so this morning I would ask you, where do you place your hope? Is your hope in your accomplishments? Is your hope in what you've done? Is your hope maybe in, in what you haven't done? Or maybe what you want to have happen? Where is your hope? And Peter is saying loudly, he's reminding us that, that us of this transformation that occurred. And we need to be reminded of this on an ongoing basis and realize the power that God has accomplished and, see, and we've seen in, in our lives. The truth of the gospel is that if we are in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, we're a new creation. See, and sometimes I think when it comes to the gospel, we just think of forgiveness, that our sins have just been given a little bit of forgiveness. But the truth is, is so much more than that. Yes, there's forgiveness, but you are a new creation in Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And all of this is from God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, how do you see yourself? When you look at yourself in the mirror, do you see yourself as one with uh, zits and warts and all of this stuff and wrinkles? Or, or do you see yourself as the righteousness of God? Because if you are a follower of Jesus, as you look at yourself in the, in the mirror, you are the righteousness of God. You're not, it's not based on what you've done or what you haven't done, but all based on what God has done in Christ Jesus. And that should bring us so much hope, regardless of what happens in the world. That should bring us so much hope that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we can have a living hope because of what he's done. We can have a living hope because of this other part in this verse. I don't know if this is working. Well. It's correctly, I'm sorry. You're good. I'm going to go with that. We can have this living hope because of this last line. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior who is not dead, but is reigning and ruling at the right hand of the Father right now. And we can go to at any time and pour out our heart to him. And that's the whole purpose. The whole purpose of the gospel is to reconcile us into relationship with God the Father so that we can boldly enter that throne room and say, this is what I have going on. Here's my heart. Here I am. I need, need help in my life. It's the beauty of the gospel is restored relationship. And so Peter is writing to this group of believers and is saying, you have been born again to a living hope. And you can have, have hope because of what, uh, because of who God is, because of what he's done. But here's this part that I love the most is because of what he will do. It says, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus to an inheritance Something that is coming, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And I think this is something that we don't often think about. Is what is to come? And I remember I had this little illustration. It's one of my favorite things, little illustrations, that has actually defined a lot of my life. Has any of you guys seen this? I've shared this a little bit. If you imagine this rope is your existence. And this little red part right here is your existence on earth. And you might have, this might represent 10 years, this might represent 
you know, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 88 years. I just had a friend of mine pass away at 88. But this red piece on this rope is your time here in this world. And so often we're consumed with this red part of the rope. And we work really hard here and we go to school and we invest here so that we can have a good life in this part. Or maybe even work really hard in this middle part of, of the red so that we can uh, relax and, and enjoy life towards the end of this red part. But what Peter's talking about is to a group of believers, says you can have hope because of what's to come. Because what is just as real as this red part, this, this part that we are experiencing right now today, is this part, this white part. And this is eternity. And imagine this white part goes on and on and on. It goes out the doors to the radio station next door, to, to uh, 96th Street, to Grand Rapids. This thing just goes on and on and on and on. And Peter is saying, this is what is to come. And it's not just this pie in the sky, like, okay, you're going to be floating on clouds. No, what he's talking about is the kingdom of God coming to earth. A kingdom that will go forever and ever and ever, where there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sadness, where there will be beauty and harmony in relationships, where we will see God and know him as, as he's fully known. And this is a sure thing. He says it's, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's pure, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you by God's power is being guarded. God is guarding you as a follower of Jesus. God is guarding you and protecting you. And that is one thing that I think we need to hear a lot in this time, is God is protecting you. God is protecting your life. God is holding your life in the midst of this storm. And so Peter is saying, have hope because of who God is, what he has done, and what he will do. I think as followers of Jesus, we actually need a greater revelation of heaven. That this is real. That this is to come. This is something that we need to long for and to hunger for. And then Peter closes out and he says, In this you rejoice. Other verses say, In this you greatly rejoice. With a joy, he goes on to say, that is inexpressible, that is indescribable. I mean, the fact that we've been given new life, the fact that we've been reconciled to God, the fact that, that we will have a, 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 an existence forever and ever, with the Lord, should cause so much joy to leap up inside of our souls. And this word for joy actually is one that was not used in the culture when this letter was written. This word joy was only used in the church. It was only used amongst a community of believers in the first century. Why? I would argue because they knew a joy that didn't exist in the world. As people were worried about this and that in their lives, they were filled with joy because they knew God they had a relationship with God all through His Son, Jesus. And so where does your joy come from? Where does your hope come from? As we go through 2020, are you, would you be able to say, you know what, in this, in the gospel, in the good news, in Jesus, and God, that's where I find my joy. I rejoice greatly. Throughout this year, there's been up and down in this year. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I didn't expect to happen this year that happened. But I can honestly say, at the end of the day, that my joy has increased because of Jesus. Because, frankly, what Peter would be saying is that Jesus is greater than anything. Any trial, any temptation, anything in this world. So my hope and my prayer for all of us is that we would simply find joy and hope in Jesus. And I know that sounds cliche, 
But it is so true that our hope needs to come from Jesus, not our achievements, not our accomplishments, but his. And the fact that he rose from the dead, the fact that he's reigning and seated at the right hand of God, the fact that he's going to come back is sometime that we are going to see him face to face. That is where we need to find our joy. And that's the beauty of Christmas. We celebrate God coming to us in the form of himself. Rick Warren, after he said, the greatest problem in this world is hopelessness. He was asked, well, what is the cure for that hopelessness? What is, what is the answer to that problem? How do we solve that problem? And he said this. He said, the cure is the good news of Jesus Christ. He said it's that simple. It's the good, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. He is the cure. And so we need to have our feet firmly planted on that, on Jesus. But also, we need to be a people of hope. We need to be living this seven days a week, and following Jesus is more than just one day a week. It's not about coming together just to this room. It's about going out and being agents of hope as we come in contact with people, as we interact with people. We have the hope of the world, Jesus, to bring to this community. And so I want to pray for us. I want to pray, and then we're going to go into communion. And I want to pray, because there's a verse in Romans 15 uh, where it says, May the God of hope... May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you may have hope. But it doesn't just say that. May you abound in hope. Be overflowing in hope. So I want to pray for us that we would be overflowing in hope. God, thank you. God, I just I thank you for, for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you will do. I thank you for just being an amazing, amazing God. I thank you that, that we can say, according to your great mercy, that you have caused us to be born again to a living hope. And I pray, God, just for just a, an outpouring of your hope today, just that we would be overflowing with hope, that we would be like even a peculiar people, that people would think we're a little strange because we're so hopeful, and that that hope would be like firmly planted in you, Jesus. How oh, we thank you. We love you. And I just pray and just ask again, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place, that you would fill us to overflowing with hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.